So I recently started watching a show called Alone. Don't know if any of you have watched Alone, uh, but the premise of the show is they take 10 people and they, they drop them off into the wilderness, separated, all by themselves, alone, and they get to take 10 items with them into the wilderness, and whoever survives the longest wins $500,000. And so, uh, you know, they, they go out there, they're facing the elements, they have to figure out how to find their own water, their own food, build their own shelter, survive the occasional bear attack or wolverine attack. And it is like captivating for me because this is like just these primal human instincts and you find out a lot about a person when it's just them against nature. So we were talking about it before the service starts and I think Elizabeth made this not a snide comment to us dudes in the back. She's like, you guys talking about The Bachelorette? <laughs> we're like, no. <laughs> we're like, but now that I think about it, this is like The Bachelorette for dudes, you know, <laughs> except for like nature hands you a rose, whether or not you're gonna like win or survive. Um, and as you watch the show, you just see these people that go in like super optimistic. They think, oh, you know, I've been, you know, I'm outdoorsy. I can like handle this. And throughout the show, you just watch them wither. Like they, their weight, they drop their weight. Uh, the psycho psychologically, they just start to go nuts. And the more that they fatigue and become tired and atrophy, the more their mind starts to go. So like, it's hard to make these like really clear, smart, wise decisions as you wear out. And so I was just kind of thinking like, if there was ever a show that could describe 2020, like as a metaphor, it's this show, right? Like we're isolated and exhausted and, and there's this uncertainty about the future and there's this weariness that kicks in. Um, and, and all the while, like psychologically, our minds are just in this place where it's like, I need to like, figure out how I can think clearly about what's happening right now, because the more fatigued I get, the harder it is to think clearly. Um, and so the show's been like therapeutic for me, because I'm like, well, it could be worse, right? Like, look at these people, what they're going through. Um, but today we're in between series. We just finished off this series on how we talk about politics, and starting next week, we're, we're starting a series on the book of Jonah that I'm really excited about. But today I wanted to look at these words from Jesus that I think are just super helpful and encouraging, especially for in a moment where we feel exhausted, weary, tired, uh, ready to just kind of tap out is what they call it in this show. Like, I am just done. I'm exhausted. And so these words come to us from Matthew chapter 11, and they're famous words. You've probably heard these before. Verse 28 says this. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. These beautiful words from Jesus to people who are weary, to people who are burdened. Uh, these, these words you've probably heard before. Uh, there's a lot here. Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, uh, it, it's, it's kind of recorded that he's preached 12 different sermons on these three verses uh, throughout his lifetime. Probably more, but we have 12 of them that are recorded. 12 different sermons on this same passage. Uh, Spurgeon says this, on this, uh, says this about Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. He says, there are minds of instruction here. Superficially read, this royal promise has cheered and encouraged tens of thousands. 
But there is a wealth in it which the diligent digger and miner shall alone discover. Its shallows are cool and refreshing for the lambs, but its depths are pearls for which we hope to dive. I love that idea. Because just at face value, you could read these words of Jesus and it's encouraging and it's refreshing. But then you dive deeper and you find that there is some, some hidden wisdom and truth about how we are designed as humans, what Jesus is communicating to us. J.C. Ryle, another uh, great theologian, says on this passage, he says, beloved, beloved brethren, see that you refuse not him who speaks to you this day. If a letter came to you from the ruler of this country, you would not despise it. If you were sick and advice came from the wise physician, you would not reject it. And if you were in danger and counsel came from your best and truest friend, you would not make light of it then hear the words that Jesus sends to you this day. Listen to the king of kings, then body and soul shall be his. Jesus offers us these words because he wants to give us life. And the premise for for today is in the midst of our weariness and burdens, Jesus offers us rest, and not just any rest, it's the rest that is rest for our soul. There's something deep inside of us that experiences rest. We're spiritual creatures, and Jesus says, I will give you rest for your soul. That's the kind of rest that is life-giving. Jesus promises us rest. There's a couple steps that we, we get to to get rest from Jesus. And the first is this. Uh, it's this idea of come. Come to me, Jesus says. To attend to his presence, to, to come, to sit at his feet, to experience him through listening, through being available with our time, where we become aware of the presence of Jesus. And Jesus says, come to me, meet face to face, be with me. Those who are weary. Now, weariness, uh, weariness is something that I think comes from uh, not attending to our soul. Weariness is something that, that I've experienced in 2020. Maybe you have too. It doesn't always mean physical tiredness. It might mean emotional. It might be, uh, might be spiritual. But weariness creeps in. Uh, Ruth Haley Barton, who wrote Invitation to Solitude and Silence, she's done a lot on just kind of like spiritual formation, uh, talks about kind of the danger of when we're not paying attention to resting and being with Jesus, this weariness. She says, because we do not rest, we lose our way. Poisoned by the hypnotic belief that good things come only through unceasing determination and tireless effort. We can never truly rest, and for the want of rest, our lives are in danger. In fact, when we don't rest in Jesus, uh, the the weariness becomes dangerous because we become vulnerable. Uh, I remember learning when I was younger as as a pastor the, the word HALT, which is an acronym. HALT, when you're hungry, hangry, when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable to making bad decisions. When you're hungry, you're angry, you're lonely, you're tired. When we, when we are living life, chasing after what the world tells us, this is what will fulfill you, uh, we, we find that we grow, we have this weariness that, that leaves us vulnerable. We become weary. Uh, Marcy, my wife, is anemic, and this is something that we've known for a while. We've been able to kind of uh, manage and every now and then it's almost like we just kind of forget that she's you know anemic so you, you know, anemia you've got low red blood count lack of iron some of you more medical people understand kind of what what anemia is well a couple of weeks ago um, she just like every time she'd stand up she would get like super dizzy 
and um, just exhausted all the time. I called her like last week, and I'm like, how was your day? She's like, I took, an, I took like three naps today. And I was like, well, that's cool. But she's like, no, it's not, because like, I, can't, I can't get up. Like, I'm, and, and so we were kind of like worried about it, go in, get some tests, and sure enough, like the red blood cell count is like super low. And so she goes in for last week for an infusion, um, trying to, to get more iron into her body, because without it, her body just feels like it's shutting down. There's something that, that happens with us spiritually in the same way. There's an anemia that, that, that sits in. We, we don't have Christ infused into our lives. There's a weariness that comes that feels like, it's almost like a dizziness of an exhaustion that happens. Jesus says, if you're weary, come to me. Those who are tired, exhausted, just sick of it all. And then he says, those who are burdened burden, that you're carrying this extra weight. Spurgeon, in one of his 12 sermons that I'm stealing from, talks about the things that weigh us down in this life. And he says there's, there's kind of like four big things. The first is disappointment. Disappointment creates burdens. Um, and, and for me this year, I, I've experienced disappointment. Now, my disappointment might be different than your disappointment. And sometimes when I think about my disappointment, I hear what other people are going through. Like, I'm really disappointed this year because Marcy and I had three trips planned uh, to go travel without any of our kids. Like, we haven't done that in, like, 13 years. And so we were, like, looking forward to 2020. One of the trips was to London. All of those were canceled. And so, like, that's not that big of a deal, right? That's, like, first world problems. Like, oh, my gosh, I can't go to London. Bummer. Like, other, I know other people have experienced such greater disappointment than that. But it's amazing what disappointment does for us. Disappointment, it's almost like when you have like one or two big disappointments, um, but when you have like six months straight of disappointments that, that I'm sure that you have felt this year, um, it's like every disappointment's like a paper cut. And before you know it, you're bleeding from all over and life is just like leaving you. And it's just like this burden of disappointment that so many people have experienced this year. The second thing that just causes great burden and great weight is grief and sorrow that comes from a sense of loss. Loss of something like the way of life that we had, the rhythm of life that we had, um, you know, watching sports. Like some things are like really small losses and other things are really heavy, like loss of job, loss of loved ones, loss of relationships. There's this grief, this sorrow that kicks in and it, it, it's heavy and if you felt that grief, you feel the weight of it. The sorrow creates this burden. The third thing is just uncertainty. Not being able to plan for the future. Not being able to know what's around the corner. Uh, not being able to know, like I know for me, for the church, it's like, you know, we're, we're mobile because we're a church plant. I want to say, like, here's the plan for the next year. We try to put a plan in place, and then more information comes out or things change, and it's, like, really frustrating because it's hard to plan in the midst of uncertainty. And that wears you out living life with uncertainty. And the fourth thing is the anxiety. The anxiety that comes, uh, for many people right now, it's the, the financial, the stress, the, the, the work anxiety that just feels like this, this heavy weight that comes upon us. There's these burdens that we carry. When Jesus is speaking about uh, how, he, how he comes to give us rest, he's talking to a hyper-religious culture that has created all sorts of just rules to try to appease God. Jesus comes to give us life, to give us freedom. Those who are weary, those who are burdened, Jesus says, come to me and in my presence, 
you will experience life. So the first kind of truth of this passage is we experience life-giving rest in the presence of Jesus. And whatever you are weary or burdened of today, to come to Jesus' presence and say, Lord, here I am. In your presence, we find life-giving rest. The second step is this, to take my yoke upon you. So to come and now to take, to take my yoke upon you. So yoke is uh, kind of an interesting word. There's been a lot that has said about what this means. It's a, it's a, a term from first century agrarian culture, right? A yoke is something that you would put on an oxen uh, or on an ox or, or two oxen. Was that the, the plural of ox? Oxen? Oxi? Oxen, yes. Um, and it was made out of wood, and it would go across kind of the back or the neck of the ox. And uh, in this agrarian society, uh, if you're plowing a field, you would have this yoke that would go upon the ox. Um, if, you, if you remember, Jesus is a carpenter. He's a woodworker. Uh, and the old legend has it that, uh, that this was maybe one of his products uh, that he would sell. He'd sell to the farmers. He would sell uh, a yoke for oxen. And what would happen is, like, you would, you would bring your oxen kind of to the shop. They would fit it uh, with a yoke um, and then find out, here's what we, adjustments we need to make. And you'd come back a week later. They would fit the yoke upon the ox again, see, like, oh, does this fit well? Is this comfortable? Um, and then, and then uh, the, you would want it to be more comfortable and well-fitted because the better fitted the yoke was, uh, the less it would aggravate the ox, the easier the work would become. And so the legend has it that, that Jesus not only is making yokes in his carpenter shop, but that his yokes are the best. Imagine him, a carpenter, the first 30 years of his life has kind of like become kind of like renowned in his area for making great yokes. And that makes sense because he's Jesus. He's probably good at what he does, right? Um, but legend tells us that people would come from all around. And even there was even like a saying, like, if you're going to this carpentry shop, um, the, the saying might be that, that like his kind of his little marketing spiel that my yokes fit well. And so like you're coming to get the yoke uh, that, that this carpenter has made because his are the best around and your oxen are going to love it the best. I know that's kind of like a goofy little uh, analogy. Um, but William Barclay was, was talking about this. He's this uh, historian that, that talked about the first century. And I thought that's really fascinating because when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he might be actually like drawing from his experience as a carpenter. Like, uh, it, this is kind of funny. You, you know, like, I make the best yokes, right? Take my yoke upon you. That means that what Jesus offers us is in the midst of our, to- our, 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 our toil, the midst of our work, the midst of our journeying through this life, he comforts us. He, he gives us something that is comforting. Take my yoke upon you because I make the best. The best way that you will journey and toil through this life is when you allow me to fasten this to you. Take my yoke upon you. It will give you comfort. This is a gift. This is grace. Take my yoke upon you. Uh, there's kind of a, another a legend about uh, how these yokes work. Uh, usually, an ox wouldn't just do work by itself. There would be a team of oxen. Now that we've clarified oxen, not ox high. Uh, these these uh, oxen uh, would, would be yoked together. This is You've heard the phrase, don't be unequally yoked. Uh, well, the oxen would, would have this thing fitted so that they would be able to, to work together. Um, and, and, and they would make the yoke so that, you know, whether one ox is bigger or smaller, uh, it would work out well. I once heard a pastor who kind of went back to the Holy Lands and saw that people were still 
uh, plowing fields with oxen with these old wooden yokes. He said something kind of surprised him and shocked him, and, and this is just kind of like another example or metaphor. Uh, but as he was looking at the field, there was this ox that was like an adult ox, and then there was this small little ox, a bullock, I believe of what it's called, like a, a, a child ox that was with it. And they had built this yoke um, so that it fit both of them. And as he watched these oxen plow this field, he realized that the, the large one was doing all the work and the small one was just kind of along for the ride. But what was happening was there was training taking place between the large oxen and the child oxen that even though the one was carrying all the weight, the younger ox was learning how to plow the field. And it was relying on the strength of the larger ox. Now, if that's happening too in this first century world, what it means is that Jesus invites us into this life where we're journeying with him, we're toiling with him in this world. And as a younger child ox, Jesus is doing this work. This is the work of salvation. This is the work of the cross, the life-giving work that Jesus does for us. And he invites us into this team where we plow the field together. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, which I think like there's this learning process uh, of, of not just him comforting us with his yoke, but the strength that comes from learning from the master. So the idea of comfort and strength that comes being yoked with Christ um, is, is a gift, it's grace. We experience life-giving rest by the grace of Jesus, by the gifts of Jesus. And this idea of kind of having, being yoked with Christ leads us to the third step where he says to learn from me. So take, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we start moving kind of from the language of the agrarian culture. These are like actual like metaphors of farming so there's another example of what's happening here is Jesus uses this word play on yoke. In the first century, the, the, the rabbis would have these disciples that would follow them. The rabbis means this great teacher of the law. And we know that Jesus was a great teacher, that he was a rabbi. And his disciples that followed him uh, would, would, would want to become like, like him, become like Jesus. Well, the rabbis that had disciples that followed him, the disciple would, would they had this metaphor that you would kind of like learn, um, it would be called the yoke of your, of your rabbi, the yoke of your master. And that yoke would be basically uh, all of his teachings. So you would, you would memorize the words of the rabbi. You, would, you took his interpretation of scripture as you followed him. Uh, you imitated his ministry model and you multiplied it to other people. And so if you were to follow a rabbi, you would take upon the rabbi's yoke. And so as Jesus uses this kind of uh, example of, of come to me, all who are weary, burdened, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He's saying, as my disciples, as my followers, do as I do, because it is here that you will find life that is truly life, life that doesn't spoil or fade, that is not exhausted, life that leads life eternal. We experience the life-giving rest of Jesus through the way of Jesus as we learn from him. So take, come, take, learn. We experience God's presence. We take upon his yoke, the gifts that he gives us in this life. And we experience rest through the way of Jesus. We talked last couple of weeks about how there's the way of the world when it comes to how we engage politically, and then there's the way of Jesus. One way always seems to be exhausting, frustrating, full of conflict, 
and there's another way. Jesus offers us another way to toil, to journey through this world that is life-giving. Eugene Peterson wrote a paraphrase of Matthew chapter 11, and he says these words. I think it's just a beautiful summary. He says, are you tired, worn out, burn out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Love that idea. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. He'll give us nothing that's ill-fitting. And in keeping company with him, being yoked with him, we'll learn to live freely and lightly. I want to close with Psalm 42. Psalm 42 is one of my favorite psalms, and kind of came across this um, the other day. I thought it was interesting. It's, it's, it's to the sons of Korah, and I never really kind of picked up on this detail. Well, Korah was this man in the Old Testament. I believe he was Moses' nephew. And as his nephew, he was kind of close to Moses in leadership, and he actually rebels against Moses and tries to kind of like take Moses' position. So because of that, he kind of gets like really bad things happen to him, kind of gets cast out, ends up, you know, dying this terrible death. Um, but they spare his sons, the sons of Korah. And some of the people associated with Korah are wiped out. But what, what's interesting about these sons of Korah, they're, they're kind of like seen now in this community as, oh, your, your dad, your father, your grandfather, he's the one that did this terrible thing. And yet they kind of bond together, these sons of Korah, even though they feel outcast, even though they feel burdened by kind of the history of their family, even the weariness of trying to interact with people socially after what happens. And it says that they just become addicted to these sacred songs of the Psalms. And this is uh, their, their song in Psalm 42. And I feel like it, it's such a good a reminder, good words, good cry to God as we think about our weariness and our burdens. It says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. When can I go to meet God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. From the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to my God, my rock, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, 
for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Jesus invites us in the midst of our weariness and our burdens to come, to take, to learn his way that is life-giving. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for these encouraging words. As Spurgeon says, Lord, just on face value, they're, they're refreshing to hear your promises to us. And as we dive deeper, we realize that you're talking about how we're wired as humans, as spiritual beings. You long to give us life to our soul, something deep inside of us that comes from your presence, that comes from your grace, that comes from the way that you have shown us to live. Lord, we're so grateful for your love for us that you have done the work on the cross, offering us life eternal. Today, Lord, we want to make ourselves available to your presence. We just ask that you would meet us in this space. It's in your name we pray.